This is Mandite and the Apprentice Mage, Book One of the Mandite Chronicles, written and narrated by Stu Venable. Chapter Two We sat at my small supper table, staring at the stone. The remnants of our meal, roasted boar, pickled turnips, and boiled turnip greens, laid on the table. My landlady had kindly brought the meal from her kitchen across the road. Jess ate it all, even the turnip greens. I didn't know many adults who would eat them. They're an acquired taste. She must have been starving. My supper table was a typical trestle table made of oak. It had been imported from the city of Eldemy on the mainland long before I got here. The top of the table was nearly three inches thick, and a thick layer of shellac preserved the scratches and gouges that marred its surface. A cook stove sat in one corner, and a smaller table for preparing meals sat next to it. There were four simple stools, made from some indigenous tree, around the table, but I had only had cause to use one until now. The whole place was constructed of wood beams and paneling. One would never find such construction on the mainland, for inhabitants of such a home would freeze to death during the winter. There was another advantage to using such light materials. When the occasional monsoons raged through, there was a good chance I would survive my home collapsing on me. That wouldn't be the case with the stone structures that were so common in Eldamy. As Jas greedily finished her meal, I took the enchanted stone from my purse. As I stared at the stone, I asked, "'How well do you know your letters, Jas?' "'All right, I think. "'Though I haven't read in a long time,' she said. "'I looked her in the eye. "'She returned my gaze with suspicion. "'She had a hard face, "'surely the result of a hard life. "'How did you manage to survive out there?' I asked. "'There's plenty of coconuts and fruits, if you know where to look. "'Sometimes I bring a basket to market and sell them "'when I find more than I can eat,' she replied. "'And how old were you when your mother disappeared?' I asked. "'I think I was ten when she disappeared. I "'I'm not sure how old I am now,' she admitted. "'I would guess you're about fifteen, I said. "'So you're telling me you survived out there for five years "'by foraging fruit and selling the excess? "'That seems unlikely. "'Most orphans her age resorted to crime eventually, "'and I suspected she did as well. "'Well, there's a big shipwreck on the other side of the island, and sometimes I go out there and find things I can sell. I found some muskets and pistols once, she said. Where's the shipwreck? I asked. Her eyes narrowed, and she said, I'm not saying. I found it. It's mine. Very well, I said, raising my hands in a placating gesture. Let's see how much you remember of your letters. I pointed to a door. Apart from the entrance, there were three doors leading off this room. One led to my bedchamber, one to my library, and the third led to what would be Jass's bedchamber, if she decided to accept my offer. Go through that door, that's my library, and find a book called A Treatise on the Forces by Xavier Birdstaff, I said. Birdstaff? What kind of name is that? she asked. An unfortunate one. Don't come back until you find it, I said. It took her less than five minutes to return with the small folio I'd stolen from the library in Ikota Smirt, 
a vile, cold town in the northern reaches of the Duchy of Eldamy. "'Very good,' I said. "'Now, should you wish to engage me as your mentor, this shall be your first text. You shall copy it down so that you have your own copy.' "'Mentor? Am I to be an apprentice?' she asked. "'Yes, if you choose to accept my offer. You have talent, young Jass.' I will teach you and train you. In return, you will remain in my service until such time that we part. Service? she asked suspiciously. Yes, cleaning. Perhaps the landlady can have someone teach you to cook. You can take the room through that door as your own, I said, pointing to the door behind her. Just cleaning and cooking? she asked. I rolled my eyes. Yes, just cleaning and cooking. Maybe errands. "'Fetch me things from the market. Carry messages. Nothing untoward.' She looked at me straight in the eye. Then she sat down and stared off in the distance. This was certainly a surprise to her. I could almost see the gears of her mind working, balancing the risks and rewards, trying to divine any ulterior motives I may have had. I did have one ulterior motive, as do most mages who take on an apprentice, a free servant.' Housemaids aren't cheap, and they charge a rather dear fee here on Ikota Isle. It's also exceedingly rare to find a child with magical talent that hasn't already been snatched up by the Collegium. Jas was doubly rare, as she had spotted an enchantment that was specifically designed to thwart detection by mages. This young Jas might well become a very powerful mage. If she worked at it, she could surpass me and possibly most of the mages I knew. There was another motive as well. I'm considered an outcast within the Collegium. That is where I received much of my training, but I was expelled before I earned my patents of magic, which would allow me to work the art on the mainland. Mages have always been viewed with suspicion, and rightly so. Many take the left-hand path and work for their own personal gain and acquisition of power, even patented mages sometimes abuse their access to lords and ladies and other powerful members of society. Not all, certainly, but it happens. It was the Eldamy Council of Lords, many centuries ago, who wrote the laws establishing the patents of magic as a way to control mages. Without such patents, a mage cannot work for hire, whether it be for an ordinary citizen or a high-born lord. When I was expelled, I assumed they would tell me in no uncertain terms that I was no longer welcome on the mainland. But that isn't what happened. They tried to capture me, to imprison me. That's why I lived on this God's-forsaken pirate haven of an island. No such law existed here. The fact was, this might be my only chance to pass on what I had learned. I would never be assigned an apprentice by the Collegium, and Jass was the only other person I had met here with magical talent. "'Okay, I'll do it,' Jas said, interrupting my train of thought. "'Hm?' "'Oh, very good,' I replied. "'So where in this book do we figure out the stone enchantment?' Jas asked. "'What? No,' I said, laughing. "'I'm going to figure out the enchantment. "'You're going to start copying that book. "'Your room is over there. "'There's parchment, quills, and ink at the desk. "'Off you go,' I began studying the stone. "'I looked up to see Jas frowning at me.' "'Off you go. Shoo! I'm magicking,' I said. She got up and stormed across the room to her chamber, much in the manner one would expect from a teenager. 
The stone was an interesting dilemma. The two runes represented two forces of magic with which I was unfamiliar. Forces, always capitalized, allowed the mage to summon, change, and control various aspects of reality. There are the elemental forces, earth, air, fire, and water. Each allows a mage to control, create, or somehow change these elements. My aptitudes tend toward air and water. I've never been very good at earth or fire. They can also be combined. A mage can make boiling water using the water and the fire forces, though it's much easier to put a kettle over a fire and safer. For living things, there are forces of body and mind, allowing a mage to control, change, or manipulate the respective thing. There is also a force for plants, but few mages show any aptitude for it. There are also forces called the meta-forces. These are the forces of change, lessening, bolstering, quickening, and impediment. I cannot tell you how many forces there are, only that I am well-versed in six. Air, water, mind, body, lessening, and bolstering. I am also aware of, though not proficient with, the forces of fire, earth, quickening, and impediment. Oh, there is one other force that all mages learn to one level or another, the force of magic. This is the force used to manipulate magic itself. It's used to make or unmake enchantments. It's also used to create magical connections between things and create logic spells. It is so necessary for spellcasting that every mage is taught to use this force, regardless of their aptitude. Now you may ask yourself, what are these forces? Where do they come from? The answer to this question depends on who you ask. But I'll give you my answer, which I believe to be an honest one. No one knows. You'll get all kinds of answers from different mages, but it's all opinion. Unfortunately, many of these mages consider opinion to be fact. As a result, many young mages find themselves hindered by these wrong-headed theories of what magic truly is. I've always felt that such theories were intentionally used to hamstring young mages, limit their power to see if they'll become monstrous dark mages. These theories put impressions in the young mage's mind about the nature and limitations of the forces. This is why I started Jass with A Treatise on the Forces. While Xavier Birdstaff was in many ways a hidebound git, he did understand the importance of avoiding any hard and fast definitions of the forces. Writing that book was probably the one right thing he did. So I was aware of twelve forces, and these were called the common forces. These were the forces that all apprentice mages have the opportunity to learn, but certain forces seem to have affinities to different mages, or perhaps mages have affinities to certain forces. Therefore, it was rare for a mage to know all twelve common forces, though some do. Early in my time at the Collegium, rumors spread among the students of several other forces— some said they were referred to as the god forces, but they would have no way of knowing that. The thought of our teachers and mentors hiding secret forces from us was intriguing. Many of us muse that such forces might allow us to perform miraculous magical feats, not that what we weren't already doing wasn't miraculous. Especially for young mages, though, the idea of secret knowledge was fascinating. The teachers of course, denied the existence of such forces, which made us all the more curious. 
I hadn't thought about the god forces in years. Furthermore, I'd never come across a text, and I'd read many, that even mentioned such a thing. But now I was staring at a stone that proved to me that at least two unknown forces existed, and there was someone out there who knew how to use them and use them well. This was both fascinating and concerning. Chapter 3 Summoning, harnessing, or manipulating forces requires great concentration. Forces are like wild horses that must be tamed. It takes great mental discipline to control the forces, and should a mage fail to do so, terrible and destructive things can happen. This leads some mages to believe that forces are spirits or demons, manifestations of the things the forces represent. But when one fails to control them, the resulting calamities seem far too random to have a conscious mind behind them. Summoning or bringing up forces isn't difficult for a mage. It's the control that's crucial, so the summoning must be done correctly. Having seen the runes of the two unknown forces on the stone, I could probably, given enough time, bring them forth, but I would have no idea how to control them or what they did. Learning such control requires training and practice. Bringing up a force you do not know how to control is extremely dangerous, and doubly so if you don't even know what the force does. And this was the situation I was in. Experimenting with those runes could be deadly. I knew one had something to do with transportation, or perhaps teleportation, but I had no idea what else it could do. Mandite, Jas asked over a dinner of coconut and rabbit stew, I have a question about the forces. Good, I said. Curiosity is to be encouraged. What is your question? Xavier Birdstaff drew symbols that represent each force, and there are rhymes to help us picture those in our minds, she started. That's correct. Though in time you won't need to use the rhymes to visualize the symbols. It does take a great deal of practice, I said. But why don't we just draw them, she asked. I was both pleased and concerned that she had asked such a dangerous question. Your question leads to very dangerous information. Information no mage willingly shares with non-mages, I started. She sat up, her expression both curious and eager. If I tell you about inscribing these symbols, what I tell you must remain between you and I. You cannot share this information, I cautioned. I give you my sacred word, she said. This was a strange phrase for a homeless girl to utter, unless she was high-born. Jass was proving to be well-spoken and well-lettered. She possessed an education few low-born would ever have access to unless they were marked to attend the collegium. Very well, I said. The rhymes are tools we use to accurately visualize the symbols of each force. They are tried and true ways to picture them in your mind, but the symbols themselves have power. In fact, you could draw the symbols for each force of a spell on the ground, for instance, and cast a spell. It's very time-consuming, obviously, and dangerous if you get them wrong, because inscribing the symbols can harness far more power than visualizing them, I explained. Then why don't they start with that? It seems much easier to draw them than visualize them she said. True, but it's also much more dangerous if you get them wrong, for you are creating a physical representation of the forces. 
The runes on the stone we found were inscribed there because that enchantment requires an enormous amount of energy for some reason, I said. It still seems safer to draw them than to visualize them, she pressed. That leads me to the real secret you must keep. Anyone can draw the symbols for the forces and create spells. You need no magical talent to do so, I said, wondering if I really should have trusted her with this information. Really? she whispered. Yes, if that information got out, it would be pure chaos. How so? One of the things mages learn in the Collegium, and one of the things I will teach you, is the ethical responsibility of being a mage. This is why such magic is not taught. If the wrong person were to find a text with such knowledge, they could wreak havoc on the world." And mages are intentionally not taught how to do this. The Collegium doesn't want anyone writing it down or teaching it to people who don't understand the responsibilities of magic. Only a few mages are taught this kind of magic, as it can be quite potent. I'm told a few battle mages are secretly taught this magic by the masters of the Collegium, but they only give this knowledge to their most trusted students, and only when they've established themselves in positions of authority and responsibility, I said. "'Do you know how to do this?' she asked. "'No, though I could probably work it out if I had to, were the situation dire enough,' I said. "'Have you seen it used?' she asked. "'No, but I have heard rumors. There is one particular battle mage. He fought with the Duke's armies during the Nomad Wars. I'm told he cast a spell like this during a very large battle. He used the force of Earth to increase the gravity on a section of the battlefield held by the enemy.' They were crushed to the ground. Many died. A lucky few broke both legs. Some were paralyzed from back injuries. They say he incapacitated nearly a thousand footmen and horsemen with that one spell, I said. That's awful, she said. It is, I answered. I was gladdened that the story scared her. I had not seen much kindness yet in young Jass, at least until now. The fact that such a display of magic gave her pause was quite a relief. The last thing a mentor wants to do is teach magic to someone without kindness and empathy. That's how you create monsters. The next evening, Jess was in her room, still copying the text. The whole building shuddered, and I felt a blast of heat from Jess's room. I quickly ran to the door and flung it open. Her chamber consisted of a small bed with a pile of blankets for a mattress— there was a table and chair and a wardrobe in one corner. Like the rest of my rooms, there were no windows. But there was an oil lamp on the table for reading, as well as two mounted on the opposite wall for general lighting. But the room was not in the same order as when I last looked in. The table was smoldering, though there were no actual flames, thankfully, and the chair, along with Jas, was laying next to the wall opposite of the table. She sat up on the floor next to her chair and looked at me sheepishly, and a little stunned. Her red hair was singed at the ends, and one of her eyebrows was partially missing. "'Don't skip ahead,' I admonished. "'Fire comes much later, and besides, you're supposed to be copying, not experimenting.' I was actually rather terrified. Jess had brought forth the force of fire, the most dangerous, destructive, and painful magical force." by reading a book. For most mages, being able to do that without instruction was very nearly impossible. 
There's so much more to it than reciting the various rhymes for the forces, and that portion was very rarely written down, and for good reason. She blinked at me. Come here, I said, holding the door open for her. Sorry, she said as she sat down at the large oak table in my main room. I would normally save this talk for later in your training, but clearly you have considerable talent and enthusiasm, which I laud, I started. On the first page of the text, what does the author say? In the very first sentence, I asked. Forces of magic are dangerous and hard to control, she recited. Exactly. Word for word, in fact, I said, muttering the last part to myself. Clearly you did not believe it when you read it. Do you believe it now? Yes, she said quietly. Good. I'd like to tell you a story to drive the point home. Have you ever heard of Highfall? I asked. No, she answered. I'm not surprised. Highfall was a city in the southern portions of the Duchy of Eldamy, nestled high in the Wall Mountains. But don't go looking for it. It's not there anymore, I said flatly. Jess's eyes went wide. No, it wasn't my doing. It was a mage, an apprentice mage, mind you, who lived more than a thousand years ago. This is a lesson that's been passed down from mentor to apprentice for thirty generations, perhaps more, and there is some historical record confirming this, so it is not apocryphal. This young apprentice grew bored with the thorough learning necessary to master each and every force. He decided, much like you, to skip ahead. He sneaked into his mentor's library. He was fascinated with earth magic, you see. He searched through the library and found his mentor's treatise upon the force of earth. That night he decided to call up the force of earth, but he had no idea how to control it. He had already learned to control one or two forces, and he figured he could use that knowledge and experience to control the force of earth. He lost control of it almost immediately. The force raged into the mountain upon which the city of Highfall was built, causing a massive earthquake. The mountain cracked in half, and the city plunged into the depths of the valley below. It is believed he killed more than thirty thousand people, including children, I said. She sat in silence, looking down at her hands, which were folded neatly in her lap. Had your experiment gone a little more awry, we might be standing out in the street, watching this place burn, I said. I won't do it again, she said quietly. Of course you will, I laughed. We all do. Hell, I did it many times. We all say we won't do it again, but after the memory of the terror of our first mishap fails, we don't mean it, I said with emphasis. A small smile slipped onto my face, and I winked. She started to crack a smile. But you don't do it in the middle of a city, especially a crowded city, I said, raising my voice. And you don't do it in a wooden building that contains my irreplaceable library. Back when I was studying at the Collegium, they would have taken a switch to me for such a stunt. Hell, what you did wasn't much different than the stunt that got me expelled and banished from my homeland. I understand, she said. Good. Now get to bed. We're getting up early tomorrow. We have to go to the governor's mansion, I said. The governor's mansion? Why? she asked. I need to do some research in the library. I hope you like research, because mages do a lot of that, I said. If you would like to find out more about my writing, 
go to stewvenable.com.